Today is Friday, July 12th, and this is Celtics Beat on the CLNS Media Network, the leading online provider of audio-video coverage of the Boston Celtics. I'm Adam Kaufman, and episode 323 featuring the Athletics' Jared Weiss is brought to you in part by BetOnline.ag. Go to clnsmedia.com slash Beat and use the promo code CLNS50 for a 50% bonus on your first deposit of at least $25. Show's also brought to you by Quip. Get your first refill on us by going to getquip.com slash Celtics. All right, everyone, welcome in. I'm not sure if this is going to be the Taco Fall Appreciation Hour, the Gershon Yabaselli retrospective, or we'll just marvel at all the offseason movement around the NBA. Probably all the above because we have got a ton to cover as usual. Welcome in for another Friday edition of Celtics Beat. Hope you had a great July 4th holiday. Already feels like years ago with everything that has happened since. I'm sure you're current on your news, but if you're not, just since last Friday's show, most significantly, Kawhi Leonard said, see you to the Raptors, no thank you to the Lakers. He convinced Paul George to force his way out of Oklahoma City, and the two of them teamed up on the Clippers. Yeah, all that within the past week. Suddenly a new NBA championship favorite, but also the trickle-down effect. With George gone, Russell Westbrook decided to bolt OKC as well. He was reunited with James Harden in Houston for a haul of draft picks and pick swaps. We'll get into all that. Chris Paul's bloated contract went the other way as well. That's inevitably going to be moved, possibly to Miami, if Pat Riley feels so inclined. Six of last year's 15 all-NBA selections have changed teams over the last couple of weeks. It's absolutely wild what is going on across the association right now. And of course, just if you're a Celtics fan, Summer League is underway. 4-0 start, tournament's coming up, everybody loves Taco Fall, Gershon Yabaseli, as mentioned, is gone, and so much more. So let's bring in the Athletics' Jared Weiss to talk about all of it. Jared, what's up, man? I can't believe we live in a world where you're referring to Chris Paul as a contract. <laughs> well, it's, it, you know, that's... The NBA is crazy. It's, it's wild, that's what's happened at this point. I know you've been on this show before with Evan Valenti and, and previous hosts. This is the first for me, though, so I'm excited to have you. This is great. I used to host the show way back in the day, actually. It's, uh, you see, full it's, circle. It's an institution in which you have held up well. We, we, the CLNS community is thankful to you. I appreciate that. And, uh, you know, the beauty is, as the guest as opposed to the host, you'll probably actually talk even more than you used to. So that, uh, <laughs> you know, that's a good start for it. Why don't we begin with something quick I didn't even mention off the top, and that is that Al Horford is officially a sixer, and Brad Stevens is bummed about it. Al was great here. We loved Al. We wanted him back. But, um, again, it's his choice. Like, he can go do whatever he wants wants to do and there's a lot of factors that end up helping these guys make those decisions but you know he's a heck of a player and and did a great job here in the three years he was here so jared i don't want to dump on horford i love horford i wish horford had come back but he put out a message to seize fans on social media which this is what it said in its entirety you welcomed me with open arms three years ago we had a goal to raise another banner in the raptors we fell short of that goal i appreciate everyone in boston ownership front office, coaches, and teammates. Most important, thank you to all the fans. Thank you, Boston. Now, I don't love goodbye messages in general, and like I said, I'm a Horford fan, but this message was about as lame as they get. He basically just said, we tried to win, we didn't, thanks. Well, I think for one, if you, you know, you've you've heard Al Horford talk many times. I feel like it kind of sounds like Al Horford's voice, to be honest with you, Um, which isn't a criticism, just like, you know, he's the kind of 
simple, straightforward talker for the most part. Um, and then he, I think that one, that was his truly his goal. And I think he leaves disappointed and bittersweet. And especially with the way things left last year, I mean, he was not happy with that. I feel like nobody ever talked about how Al Horford felt because Al Horford's a good soldier who keeps quiet, does all this talking and yelling behind closed doors. But like he's got to he's got to be the most pissed off out of anyone. He was the one that like you know was committing his prime of his career to this team. This was his big chance for it to finally happen, and then every kind of like everybody else on the team are the ones that screwed it up. I think if there was anyone who did not screw up that team, it was got to be Al Horford. He was the most steady consistent effective presence on the team so i think he's pretty bittersweet leaving and it explains exactly why he would want to go to somewhere like philadelphia where he's on a team that is clearly the juggernaut of the east because of him going in there so i i I feel bad for al honestly i think al did everything possible and was surrounded by a lot of immaturity a lot of selfishness and a lot of frustration well, and I've said this before, too, really best of both worlds for Al, which I, I didn't think was going to happen. I thought he would either go to a contender, not quite for the money that he wanted, but he'd have that chance at a ring, or he'd get paid a ridiculous contract that the Celtics were never going to match. He wound up getting one and the same from Philadelphia, so it, it was a, a win all the way around for him because he can. this is the kind of guy that, yes, he wants to be an impactful piece on a championship team, but most importantly, he wants to get that ring, and he could, you know, he could be... Barkley and Malone and Peyton, like he could be one of those guys that that is chasing a championship to the bitter end until he's 40 years old as a role player on an NBA at at some point down the line. He could be, you know, David West later in his career if he wants to be. It's just right now he doesn't have to be and he can be a a good contributor on a potentially a great team. We'll see if it is in Philadelphia. You certainly hope he doesn't have to wander in the desert for too much longer. Right. It seems like he's earned his... uh, he certainly earned a cup of water somewhere. So, yeah. I mean, th- this is this is a great shot for him. Like, this is the place to do it, the team to do it with. I mean, he he's next to the best big man in the NBA, or you, you can argue that one. But, like, this, that team, I feel like he fixes so many of their flaws. And, I mean, they'll never be able to get over Ben Simmons' inability to shoot and his kind of decision-making and how he tries to get his scoring. You know, that's just – that's just a flaw that he has to work out, and I don't know if there's really anything to do to fix that externally. So that's going to be a huge, you know, like hurdle that they have to jump over. But if there's anyone that lowers hurdles for an NBA hmm. team, it's got to be him. So when do you think we're going to hear Kyrie Irving's goodbye? <laughs> I think he did. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was it was just a little it was a little breeze out the door from Boston, New York, as soon as the season ended. And uh, yeah, that's not gonna happen. It's it's kind of shocking that there isn't just something, just something, just something saying like like just say like some sort of mea culpa, or just the same statement that Al Horford me because like I mean Kyrie for one even after a lot of people turn on Kyrie there were still a ton of Kyrie Irving fans there were still Kyrie Irving fans all over the all over the stadium there are sure. a lot of people that love Kyrie Irving in the city and he, he could have just said goodbye he could have done something to really, you know, make Boston feel as if like that period of time existed. I guess he just wants to forget it. 
I am fascinated to hear that introductory press conference in Brooklyn just because there, I don't know if you'll be there, there will be some Boston reporters there, obviously, that are going to ask him about the, the video with his dad and raising 11 to the Raptors and the preseason proclamation to the season ticket holders about coming back if you'll have me. And and he's going to dodge it because that's what he does, and, and he'll find a way to, to ramble and, and talk without saying anything, and they'll move on to the next question. We won't actually get any sort of answer, but... But I am really interested to hear how he does handle that when the time comes. But unsurprisingly, we all knew it. Steven said, as you heard, he wanted Al Horford back. He did not say the same thing about Kyrie Irving. I've said this before. I enjoyed Kyrie. I like Kyrie. You know, and I wish him nothing but health and success. Like, um, you know, I think any time that you go through a year like we went through where you, you don't necessarily meet expectations, on some years that might be a good year, but on others it's not. You know, I think there's probably going to be some change, and you know, I don't fault him one bit for choosing to follow whatever he wants to do. That's his right. I know Brad's excited to have Kemba Walker in the fold with all the different ways that's going to work with him, but even independent of that, let's say Terry Rozier was coming back, or Marcus Smart is your starting point guard, or it's Ricky Rubio, or it's any of the other names that were floated around that are that are somewhere in between, you know, Kyrie Irving and and a worst case scenario, and, and you luck out that it's Kemba and that's not it at all. But independent of Kemba coming in, do you think Brad's just kind of relieved that Kyrie's gone? I you must be right. I mean that was a coach's nightmare situation that he had to deal with there and you know he wanted Kyrie to be a partner and that you know never quite came to fruition and now he's got like the exact opposite guy reputation wise in Kemba like Kemba is kind of seen as like the ultimate coach's partner you know extremely cooperative willing to mold his game to the system seems like he'll be a much better fit for the system this is kind of a dream come true scenario for Brad Stevens and I mean this is like we were talking talk about the desert uh, metaphor. This is like hmm. Brad Stevens wandering through the desert and all of a sudden hit the ocean. I mean, he is, <laughs> this is this is incredible for him. So Brad spoke about last year's group out at Summer League in Las Vegas. You were there. I know you're back in the Boston area now. And I'll, I'll play this clip quick because there there is one part that I took exception to that you and others probably did as well. If it doesn't work, it's not because guys aren't good guys. Everybody in that locker room was well-intentioned. Everybody's a good guy. And we didn't fit. You know, and I think that that's part of it. Sometimes that happens. I think that anytime you have a relationship, that doesn't always fit together. And so I don't have anything bad to say about anybody, and I don't want to make it look like uh, by saying that it's become a priority all of a sudden that it wasn't before. It's always been one. So Brad's always going to take the high road and never going to dump on a guy. That's all fine. I, I, I wouldn't want him to. But saying everyone on last year's team was well-intentioned, that's just false egos were out of control you hit on some of that earlier and many of these guys were concerned with their own agendas above winning the top priority across the board was not the championship that everybody talked about and and borderline expected in the preseason well you know it's kind of like a bit of a cognitive dissonance to say it this way but it is the way that every single player on the team has told me and many others and said publicly over the past you know few months and sitting with the coaching staff is that well-intentioned, I think, in this scenario is kind of meaning like everybody wanted to win. They all wanted everything to work together. They wanted to make the system work. But then the reality sets in that when you're on the court that you feel like you need your shots. You feel like you need to find your rhythm. And that just kind of piles on, especially when, you know, almost every team has one or two of those guys, but there were like seven of those guys <laughs> for last year. 
And so, you know, that, that I think is what really happened. It wasn't like guys were fighting in the locker room. At least it doesn't seem this way. It doesn't seem like guys were fighting in the locker room saying like, like I'm the star of this team. I need to get everything. It's like, like I had, I was having conversations with players throughout the year who were telling me like, we're trying to make it work. But like, I also, I can't find a rhythm because I'm not getting the looks that I'm used to getting. And it's really hard for me to figure it out when, I'm only getting like two shots in the paint per game, basically. And I can't get, I can't get into rhythm and therefore I'm not hitting my shots. Like that's how it kind of felt for all these guys. So, you know, I, I, there's a reason why you have a, a dichotomy on a team. It's that there, when you talk about sacrifice, it's that there's going to be some guys on a team that just aren't going to be able to get that rhythm. And that's why to get six shots a game up to get warmed up. They just come out there. And they just they catch and shoot, and they're ready to go, and they're hot from the gate, or they're cold from the gate, and that's how it is. And they don't need to, like, play and shoot their way through it. And so that's why they need more of a dichotomy. They need more role players, and they're trying to figure out how to make that happen now. Well, and to that end, it appears, and I, I really stress this word because every time you take a breath, a superstar is traded, but it appears this year's roster has mostly taken shape. But according to the Boston Globe's Adam Himmelsbach, he had some notes – on the decision of, of Gershon Yabuselli being waived, which is not even official yet, but that's going to happen. His sources told him there's still a good chance there will be more changes by opening night. It's possible Boston will add two more players, create a little camp competition, 16 guaranteed contracts. We have seen that in the past, uh, especially with so many young guys in the fold competing for opportunities for jobs. Adam also said that as of now, there are no plans. I'm sorry, Celtics fans, but he said there are no plans for Taco Fall to claim a roster spot. He will enter camp on the Exhibit 10 deal, at least as things stand right now. So there's a lot there with everything I just rattled off. What have you heard on on the roster front? So, yeah, so what Celtics fans need to understand is that when you talk about Taco Fall making the roster right now, that is different than him making it in the fall because he is just not ready yet. But after a really good offseason, it certainly could change. And so, they, you know, they're probably going to carry an open roster spot at this point. Or because they're already carrying dead money, they might just decide, hey, let's just keep signing Vetman guys, and then we can just cut them later if we need to. So I don't think that's a done thing at all. I think you should be patient if you're a Celtics fan and want to see Taco Fall be the big star on the team, maybe even replace Kemba's point guard. It seems like they want him to do everything at this point. Maybe show a little bit of patience with him. Like, it's going to take him a while to develop as a big man in the NBA. And I don't think it's likely that he's going to be ready. And uh, I, I mean, I love Taco, and I think Taco has a lot of potential to be an NBA rotation player, but he's just not there quite yet. And it's going to take him, I assume, a year in the G League at the very least to be ready to play at the NBA level. But maybe shows enough progress if they're willing to take him onto the roster after training camp. So let's keep going with him because I am a believer. I mean, anyone who follows me on Twitter can see this. I am a believer that Taco Fall is, is going to find his way onto this roster. Now, maybe that's opening up a, a two-way deal for him. Both of those are claimed right now. Or maybe it's another avenue where Tremont Waters gets promoted to a, a regular contract and therefore one of the two ways does become available or, or they keep him on the Exhibit 10 and, and give him that bonus that I think you or others have written about and and then he's in Maine, he's in the G League, but he's still, as you noted, still Celtics property. I, I just feel we've seen enough, albeit just four games into Summer League, to see that 
there is raw talent there to go with the obvious size. So th- there's a chance he could be a valuable defensive presence eventually. Not someone who's going to come in and play a lot, you know, few games, few minutes, little opportunity on a, a crowded roster. But Boston might have something there beyond just the the social media infatuation and a, a giant whose name is Taco. But, you know, what do you think in terms of continuing with what you were just talking about, long-term expectation, maybe beyond this year, is, is he a guy that the Celtics think enough of to, to hang on to and, and not let him escape elsewhere? Yeah, for sure. And I think that's a big factor with guys that sign Exhibit 10 contracts is that at the end of the season, they, you know you waive them and you hope that they take the $50,000 bonus that they get and agree to go to your G League affiliate. If they don't agree to it, then they're a free agent you lose them. And I think Taco has demonstrated at this point that he's going to be a player worth developing and probably worth a two-way slot in that case if, you know, if you're not going to be able to convince him to go to Boston. And the thing for him, I think one of the big factors is that he has to be in a good development situation. He needs to be in a good medical situation. So he, the team that he's picking has to be very careful. They did specifically pick the Celtics. That was, you know, the team and at least like the top of the short list of teams that he wanted to go to after the draft. And I, um, I can't remember if I put it in my article or not when I wrote about him, but, um, you know, Austin Ainge told him that he was, uh, that he had like never seen Danny so excited to sign, <laughs> sign an undrafted rookie in his <laughs> entire life. So like Danny was super excited to get him. And, you know, D- Danny is one of those scouts that like he, he hones in on a guy and he'll do anything he can to get him. And I mean, we remember we heard Robert Swiss name for a decade. Terry Rozier was one of those guys. Danny, you know, Danny was obsessed with Terry Rozier as a prospect coming in, and like was going to do whatever he could to get him, including picking him probably like ten picks higher than he probably should have gone. Hmm. Although I, even even though people are soured on Terry Rozier, that was a good draft pick. It I was mean, hey, absolutely. Look at it. They traded the 16th pick for Kemba Walker, so you can look at it that way, right? So. Um, you know, Taco is, I think, at this point, he's demonstrated already that he is clearly worth a two-way if that's what you have to do to, to keep him. Probably even worth a roster spot that's what you have to do to keep him. But, like, I think people need to recognize that the mobility, while he is moving pretty well for, for you know, a gigantic center, his mobility is still a bit of an issue. His rotation speed defensively is a bit of an issue. He's, you know, like, he doesn't have much... Uh, creativity or like unpredictability to his movements, but also his movements are so absolutely gigantic that there's also not much you can do about them. And he's still learning a ton about the technique of defending the pivot and things of that nature. And, you know, he just, he has so much more to grow. And I say that as a positive because, you know, I remember when I was talking with him on Vegas uh, last week, he was making a point that I thought was an important one is that he hasn't been playing basketball that long. And, he feels like he's just like starting to learn a lot of the like intermediate to advanced level skills that a lot of bigs probably develop when they're in high school or early in college. And he's starting to get to that point. So he's a little behind the learning curve, but he works really hard. And he's a smart guy and he's a fun guy and like Kawhi Leonard. And so <laughs> he is, I think he's willing to catch up and he's trying to catch up. And, you know, the standard of that he needs to hit as far as, learning all those things is not very high for him to be an effective role player in the NBA. Yeah, I heard, uh, I don't know, maybe NBA TV or ESPN, some interviewer asked Taco doing a walking interview with him, which was, it was a terrible interview, but one of the questions was, you know, can can you see the, the tops of cabinets? What's that look like? And Taco just goes, dusty. 
<laughs> so, you know, he's, 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 he's got a, you know, he's got a good personality. You know that better than most. If anyone hasn't read it, uh, Jared wrote a, an article that might even be your pin tweet right now on, on going to dinner with Taco Fall when he first arrived in Boston and kind of showing him around a little bit, but just getting to know him. And it's, it's a cool piece. It's well-written. It's not very long. Won't take up much of your time. So I do encourage that you read that. I want to talk to you more about it, but we have a ton to cover before I do let you go. So going back to the Himmelsbach stuff, just the fact that, as you said, you wouldn't be surprised if, if they go into the season with the open roster spot. He went the other way, said they could sign two guys and, and like I said, have the camp competition. In terms of vet men guys that are still out there, who's available that you think would be a good fit, worth a, a shot to bring in, look at, that would fit into this system, fit with this culture, and, and obviously fill a need? It's funny. I thought Trey Lyles maybe could have been the person I felt filled that need, but he's now replacing Marcus Morris in San Antonio, so that's no longer on the table. Right. There's uh, Alex Poitras, who's another you know, another big that could have some shooting potential, and he's been kind of up and down in his career, you know, just like Trey Lyles. Uh, but honestly, there's <laughs> there's not that many unrestricted free agents left that I can think of, and you know, you're you're not going to get it. You can't really get a restricted free agent with the with the vet minimum. So. Um, or I mean, if if you could, the team probably would just renounce his qualifying offer at this point. So, and actually, I think the deadline to pull a qualifying offer is tomorrow. That's at least unilaterally pull it. So, I don't. There's not really anyone that makes sense. I think at this point, they could either try to find like, you know, deep prospects. At which point, they already have like some guys that they could try to add from the summer league team, or they go for some sort of veteran. I mean, like not like mellow or something like that, but yeah. I mean, there's, there's not that many, like, I feel like most of the vets that are sitting out there are guys that are probably going to retire. So, I mean, you generally, you bring those guys in the camp and you see if they can, uh, if they can earn that last roster spot and then they retire if they don't make the mm-hmm. roster spot. So that'll be pretty interesting, but there's, there's not really any, there's not that many names out there that I can think of that actually, are feasible to make the roster and make sense at this point. I just remember a few years back when I wanted, I think it was Perry Jones to, he was that 16th guy and wanted him to make the roster and, and wound up getting cut and they kept James Younger. It was, it was something along those lines. And I guess, uh, in, in the end, well, nobody was proven right because neither one of them is any good, but you know, I, I digress. The, I uh, want to say something quick about that. Actually, yeah. you know, Perry, when they brought in Perry Jones, people were excited because Perry Jones was a really high draft. Pick. Right. And, a lot of athleticism. You know, yeah, and there's some of those guys out there that were like former lottery picks that have been, you know, bouncing around for a while. People bring up Jim Fredette every single year. Mm. It's like those guys are talented, but they just either are their talent is located to a very specific skill and they're too one dimensional to make it in the NBA, or they don't have the work ethic or the basketball IQ to be able to make it. And so these guys and they usually get extra chances anyway because they usually have the physical tools, like in Perry Jones's case, or they have that one skill that makes them so exciting. But teams nowadays, I feel like, don't really want to waste their time bringing those guys in, and they usually want to give it to someone who they feel like can be a multi-dimensional player that either needs to be put into the right system or needs some more development. But you know, nobody really wants to play one-skilled guys anymore. The other thing that Himmelsbach had said that I, I just don't want to gloss over, and, and I think Steve Bullpetz put the same out, others as well, and, and it's just it goes back to the whole don't sleep on the NBA, is that the expectation for changes before opening night. And, of course, what that may be end of the roster stuff like we were just talking about, but it also creates the question I you know solicited Twitter questions, and, and several were about this. 
Do you see the the Celtics, you know, Danny Ainge possibly pulling the trigger on on an impactful trade? People keep coming back to the idea that Jalen Brown could potentially be dealt with a, a looming contract. Of course, there's the fact that you know there's there's no dead time in the NBA anymore. It used to be August. You could like say if you're in your position, mine, you could safely go on vacation, not worry about anything. Well. Celtics acquired Kyrie Irving in August two summers ago, so there is no safe zone anymore, and we're we're especially seeing it a couple of weeks into free agency to no great surprise, but the signings, the trades, everything. Do you think the Celtics still potentially have a, a big deal in the hopper or at least Ainge is working toward one? So I think that you gotta keep an eye on Bradley Beal. Like that's that that's a situation that could evolve because Washington, they still haven't hired a permanent GM. They have, uh, I think Tommy Shepard is, is running it right now, and frankly, they should just stick with him. Um, but so if he doesn't accept the con- the max contract extension they can offer him, I think at the beginning of August or so, then that creates the kind of modern trade demand, essentially, where nowadays if guys are going to take their max extensions, then that means that they're going to leave most likely, and then teams need to start trading them before the contract expires. And Beal, I think, is the most probably one of like the five to seven most attractive trade targets in the entire NBA. He is, you know, I think he's proven at this point, he is an elite player and he's just entering his prime now. And he's a great locker room guy, great culture guy, great community guy. He's a great piece of a franchise and would be perfect on this team. So I don't, I do not believe that there is a legitimate reason to try to trade Jalen Brown. Um, You know, he's not going to sign his contract extension because they're not going to offer him the max. And he could have a really good year and be worth the max. And so he's going, He's not going to take this extension. And I saw somebody was mentioning, they got a lot of likes and retweets about how um, how the Celtics haven't had a contract extension done in since like Rondo or something like that off of a right. And yeah, that's because in the NBA, it's extremely rare to have a basically like a top 10 pick sign a contract extension off the rookie deal if it's not a max extension because you almost always need that fourth year to demonstrate extra value, and the free agency market is generally going to be much more rewarding. So, yeah, I don't see Jalen signing because they're not, they don't really have any reason to offer him the max. He's not there yet, but he definitely, he's not that far from it. Like, he's already worth $20 million at least at this point. His max is going to be around 29 to $30 million, I think, most likely. So, you know, it's worth it for him to try to earn that extra $40 million, essentially this season. And I think he has a good chance of doing it. So either way, they're going to be able to keep him if they want to keep him. He's probably going to be worth whatever his next contract is. I'm still pretty much just as high on him as I you know, have been the entire time. I think he's going to be worth the max money. So there's no reason to trade him. But if you can get someone like Beal, who's a couple years older, but is already at the pinnacle of the game, then that's when it makes sense. But I, I don't I don't expect a Bill deal to get done this offseason. Quick break to tell you today's show is brought to you by BetOnline.ag. The NBA season's over, sure, but that doesn't mean you can't still make money on basketball. You can already bet on who's going to win the 2020 title. Lakers, plus 350. Nope. How about the Clippers, right? And the Celtics. You could still look to them, plus 1,800. And some people would say, Ian Thompson last week, maybe Jared Weiss, that Celtics could possibly Make a run to the East Finals, third best championship odds in the Eastern Conference. You can also make custom player bets during games. You can pick a player and a stat. BetOnline.ag will give you a line for it. It's really cool. And odds already out for player props for next year. Zion Williamson, future rookie of the year maybe, but his points per game, that is set at 18.5. You can bet on who's going to win the season series between the Lakers and Clippers. Spoiler. 
Clippers. Make sure you go to clnsmedia.com slash Celticsbeat. Get a 50% bonus on your first deposit of at least $25 when you sign up and use the promo code CLNS50. Don't be left on the sideline with all this excitement going on on the court. Plus, you can play on BetOnline's virtual casino. Make some money there, too. Whatever you do, make sure you use betonline.ag and use the promo code CLNS50 for a 50% bonus on your first deposit of at least $25. Just go to clnsmedia.com slash Celticsbeat, then please see BetOnline's general rules for additional terms and conditions regarding bonuses. I I don't know if this was the tweet that you saw, but I can at least say, and and many have seen, that uh, Brian Robb, Boston Sports Journal, he's the one that spoke with Jalen Brown, and and Brown told him that C's haven't even reached out on a new deal yet. Of course, the sides do have till mid-October to negotiate that extension, and uh, as you said, hasn't been done since Rajon Rondo, but You know, another thing that shouldn't be lost is it's not as though the Celts haven't tried. Like, they had offered extensions to Terry Rozier, to Marcus Smart. Both those guys elected to bet on themselves, and financially it worked out for them. But what do you expect here in in terms of dollars? I mean, is is it—I know you say that it's he's going to be worth— whatever that next deal is, but do you think he, he comes close to maxing out at, at the, as you said, 29, 30 per, something like that? Do you think it's it's closer to, I don't know, 25 mil a year and, and then is is worth it for the Celtics to keep him at that? Yeah, so I would offer him 480 probably at this point and then try to work from there, maybe go up to like 22 or so. And then at that point, i probably just stop because you have matching rights. So either he's worth the max or he's worth $25 million and you get the match. So let the market dictate. And that's a big yeah. reason why these extension deals are usually, you know, usually the teams try to offer a little bit below market value at the time. They, don't, they almost always ever get done because you, have, you can just let the market take care of it and you get to match it. And you get to sit back and enjoy. So, you know, I, there, like there's no rush for them to try to keep Jalen um, the difference between what they offer Jalen in the extension and then what they would have to sign him for probably isn't going to make a huge difference as far as them managing the cap. Like they're going to be into the tax most likely at that point. So, I, I mean, obviously they can do a lot of things to get away from that. But if they're keeping their core together and they have a good season, then they're basically going to have to commit to the tax at that point. So, I, I, I think it's just best for them to play conservatively. I don't think Jalen would ever take it. He doesn't need to take it, and then. They just take care of things in the offseason. So you're recently back from Vegas, and uh, we're going to go around the league, talk about some of those bigger moves that I mentioned off the top of the show. But first, let's get into some of these younger Celtics that we'll spend some time talking about, obviously, as the season moves along. And and actually, I, I want to begin in the second round, because Carson Edwards is the first of the C's second-round picks that's really been exactly what most expected so far. Again, summer league, but small, guy's a human microwave. He can score, he'll shoot from anywhere. He's been efficient, especially from long range. He's 15 out of 31 and, and doesn't hesitate to pull up five feet behind the three-point line. Are we seeing a summer league sensation or what I believe, and I think what others believe, a guy who can step right in as a rookie and actually contribute and be part of the rotation? Yeah, he'll be in the rotation. I mean, Maybe right away it's going to take them a little bit of time to really crack it, and they're going to use Wanamaker more. But yeah, he, um, I mean, he's the whole point of him as a prospect was that he was going to be ready to come to the NBA and get buckets. Like, that was the first thing he's going to be able to do. I think a pleasant surprise has been that I didn't know if his defense would really translate to the NBA well, but he's defending pretty well. Um, you know, he's because he, the one thing I like about him is he's not like super tall or long, but he's really beefy. 
And if you're a point guard, I think your your awareness and your like, your actual like kind of like thickness can play a huge role in your ability to really dribble penetrate mm-hmm. and get your shot off. Because if you can move guys when you're driving on them, that's when you can really create that separation. And so, you know, that's really working for him offensively pretty well, although there are some warning signs that a lot of the dribble penetration is not going to work against NBA defenses. So that is one thing to definitely be concerned about. Uh, but then defensively, he is he's usually pretty locked in. He's got pretty good reaction speed. He knows, I mean, at least as far as like just guarding a point guard one-on-one or chasing guards over screens and stuff like that, he seems to be doing a pretty good job at that. So if he can be a two-way player, that, that gives him a much, much better chance of cracking the rotation. That has been one big difference with the, I know there were a lot of the Isaiah Thomas comparisons in terms of just, you know, undersized guy that can come in and, and, and get quick buckets. But in terms of that thickness, like he's a, he's a bigger dude than Isaiah Thomas. He seems like already he's, he's just physically a bit more imposing or physically stronger in terms of being able to get to the hoop and, and generate that contact and not worry about some of the things that, that uh, Thomas, uh, among other smaller guards, have had to deal with, you know, having having injuries creep up on him and, and taking a while to recover from them. But uh, one thing that he does not compare to, that is the strength of Grant Williams. And this this kid is, is my favorite among Boston's rookies. He was from the second they drafted him and all the more so since. He's all effort all the time, good defensively, great basketball IQ, strong as an ox, uh, you know, gets those those Shemi Ojale workout comparisons. But in terms of his play, I, plus 85 through four games or something stupid like that, <laughs> everyone says, everyone is already saying that, you know, he's clearly he's not Al Horford, but he does impact winning in some of those same ways. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, he's a really similar player uh, by design. Like, his style is similar. It's just, you know, there's, I think I tweeted this during the game Thursday night. It's like, he's kind of like Al Horford, except much shorter and less athletic. So, <laughs> you know, those are, those are the two things that separated Al Horford from all the other really skilled, undersized guys. That's why Al Horford is a great player. And so, yeah, Grant has those limitations and it's going to, you know, it puts a ceiling on his ability to dominate in the NBA. But, I mean, he's got every single tool in the book, both skill-wise and upstairs. It's amazing to watch. And, I mean, he was – I have been told by many people coming to the draft that he's the guy that you're going to fall in love with. And, you know, watching him play, it's like he, he just fits every single thing that I love about being a basketball player, everything that I tried to do and failed miserably at when I used <laughs> to play basketball. And so, I mean, he just – his court vision is so good on both ends. And I think that's the most astounding part is he, he reads a game like he's like a, a seven-year vet. And you just you watch him on defense. You can see that. So, like, most NBA actions are you're doing something on one side of the floor, and then on the weak side something is developing. So you can quickly kick the ball over to the other side. But while the defense is slightly out of position, take advantage of that. Grant is so good at sniffing out weak side action. And there are so many possessions where – he would be guarding somebody on one elbow, send something developing on the other side, and then slide down towards the middle of the floor. And then all of a sudden, the, the offense will pass the ball to that guy cutting, and the guy cuts right into Grant's way and gets stonewalled. And we just, we've seen so many times where Grant is the first person to the spot on defense, just always has a not, an understanding for where the play is going to be coming from. And I have a story coming out. I don't want to spoil too much of it, but basically one of the things that he does is he watches so much film, mm. learns all the plays, and is able to call out a lot of the plays as they're developing. 
And that's huge for the rest of the team because the rest of the team then also is able to pick up on some of the reads that he's doing and they can learn from him and be able to also read the play that they otherwise have no idea what's going on and just trying to read and react. So what he does isn't just effective for him, but it's also communicating what he is seeing to everybody else and gives everybody else a bit of a boost too. And that's what impact winning really is. That's what Al Horford is just about the best in the NBA doing. And it's not just him that benefits. It's that everybody gets a little bit better by him being out there. This show's producer, Evan Valenti, who you know well, as you know, he was texting me I earlier think. today saying that, uh, you know, he, he thinks Williams is a basically he's a six, seven Marcus smart. And I said, you need to be careful. You're going to make Celtics fans go six to midnight. You start talking that way. Uh, yeah, they should be up. They should be up. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's a good comparison. Uh, definitely a little bit different, but yeah, I, I totally see that. I, I can definitely see that. What have you made of Robert Williams' growth in his second summer league, especially on the heels of a 16-16 and 16 performance? Uh, good, good. He, he's made the strides that you want to see from him. And, you know, you have to remember Robert Williams was a project, and he was drafted as a project. And what that means is that, He's going to get a little bit better in year two, but he's not going to quite be ready yet. Or maybe he is, and he's going to end up being a superstar. But most likely, he is going to be going from guy that couldn't really play last year too much, had some nice flashes, to starting to put it together, and they're starting to give him some actual rotation spots, but he's not the starter yet. He's not quite ready for that. And I think the by year three or four, that's when you start to really see him put it together and get ready to be a rotation guy. And I think what we're seeing now that makes you think that he does have serious starting potential is that his, like he is a really kind of fluid athlete and has great length. But I feel like last year he didn't seem to be very balanced or in control of his body. And that seems to be changing significantly. And we're just seeing in these couple last few summer league games, he is able to make moves of the hoop where he seems really in control and kind of, lean at different angles and still still feel grounded and not feel like he's, you know, kind of like committing to a shot, defense reads it, and then he's just kind of stuck taking that shot and gets rejected. It's like he has creativity. He has control over his game now. I don't think it's going to be quite ready for the NBA yet once we get to training camp or preseason, but the fact that it looks so much better now at Summer League means that he's clearly making that progress. And he's showing that he could be a multidimensional finisher near the rim where it's not just catching lobs. And we saw, especially in that last game against Denver, right, uh, he was catching lobs left and right. I mean, that, he is going to be an alley-oop machine. And that's going to be huge for the team because they haven't had an alley-oop machine in a long time, and that creates a different type of threat on offense that can be really scary for the defense. So that's big. But he's showing that he has, you know, he has good passing vision, and he's starting to show that he can throw some pretty – difficult passes like there were some passes where he was in the post or he was driving the lane and he would kind of spin and whip these really hard but accurate passes the guys in the perimeter that's like that's really valuable stuff that's stuff that not a lot of the centers can do and if you're a pick and roll center that can catch the ball on a roll and you can either be a lob threat or you can finish through traffic or you can also spin around and kick it out to a wide open shooter that makes you a good starting center and that gives them the potential to be a really good starting center and, you know, the Celtics right now, they have, like, a piece, the piece for the future at every single position except for the five. And if Rob can make that leap, then that's when they're getting into real juggernaut territory. Well, and he's been right on time for everything. So what's better than that? 
Well, he is a time lord. <laughs> Obviously, we haven't seen Romeo Langford yet because of the thumb injury. He's still working his way back, so there's not much to discuss there. And I really don't think, especially in the interest of time, we need to talk much about Tremont Waters or Javante Green or these guys. They, they just don't matter that much in the grand scheme just yet. Um, quickly on Brad Wanamaker, you mentioned him before and what could be kind of a, a fight for playing time potentially. I was personally, I was surprised that he resigned. I, I just thought he was going to either potentially wind up back overseas or more realistically get a, a, another better opportunity in the NBA somewhere else, just somewhere comparable money, just somewhere that he was going to play more. Do you think he's getting worried about playing time with some of these guards? Uh, I guess. I mean, Wanamaker was pretty good at being quiet and taking his money last year, so I'm sure that's not going to change too much this right. year. Um, and, you know, it's a it's a blessing to the Celtics media that he's staying because his wife sits behind the media section and is talking trash the entire game, and it's <laughs> hilarious. So we're, we're very grateful to Danny Ainge for keeping that entertainment there. That's um, awesome. But so, and I actually do have a point about Linker that I do want to make, but I'll make the Wanamaker point sure. first. Um this is a good example of the value of practice and why it's so hard externally and why you kind of shouldn't externally judge people that you don't really ever see play because Wanamaker got re-signed basically based on what he does on practice because he didn't really do anything in the NBA last year. Like he barely played. He had a couple good games, but like he almost never played during the season last year. Right. So that tells me that he was working really hard in practice. Practice isn't just like, you do your drills hard or there's scrimmages you play hard. Like you're also the scout team point guard sometimes, or you're pretending to be the opponent and they're using you as a dummy. And you got to, that means you got to learn the opponent's tendencies and do that really well. You have to show other ways that you can demonstrate that you're working really hard and you're prepared. So I think that they looked at it as they're going to have Kemba, then they're going to have two types of backup point guards. They're going to have, well, for one, Hayward's probably going to be the backup point guard at some times where I assume he's going to start, but they're, they're also going to have him run the second unit. Mm. But so then, you have a veteran guy who you know can at least bring the ball up and attack and know what to do. And then you have someone in Edwards who has a lot more, you know, dynamic capability, but he's young and you don't really know what he's you know, going to be able to do yet. So they kind of have two significant compromise options there. But either way, they kind of have their butts covered. What was your Langford um, point? Yeah. And then Langford um, – you know, you haven't gotten to see him play, but one of the beauties of being a reporter is you do get to walk into practice while these guys are still working. And what I have seen out of Langford is that his shot mechanics were, like, shockingly bad in college. And they, they were bad in high school when I used to scout him, and then they got worse while he was in Indiana. Hmm. And he, he puts the ball, like, over the top of his head, puts the – the guide hands that, you know, so you shoot with your right hand, mm-hmm. your left hand is your guide hand. That guide hand is supposed to be generally on the side of the ball. And some people use their thumb to kind of push the ball off a little bit. If you do it right, then it's okay. It's not, you know, but generally you don't want to get that thumb involved. And instead, Langford had the ball so far back over his head when he was trying to shoot it that he had to move his set hand behind the ball to prevent it from falling out of his hand. Huh. And then was pushing that set hand all the way through, or the guide hand, all the way through the shot. And he just was kind of shooting this, like, corkscrew shot that was very unpredictable. And that was a, that was just the start of it. I mean, there was footwork stuff. There was his hips were messed up. I mean, there's just so many different, you know, mechanical oddities that he has conflicting in his shot. And the big thing I'm seeing is that, he, you know, his the ball has to be moved forward towards in front of his head instead of above the top of his head for him to be able to shoot cleanly and in practice we're seeing i'm seeing him doing these drills 
where they have this specific drill. It's basically a form shooting technique is what it's called. But so you, what you do is you take the ball, you put it to where you're expecting the shooter from, standing about five feet from the hoop. And you take your, your other hand and you make it stiff as a board. Or I think they're apparently using ping pong paddles as well. I think Jay huh. King had that in his story on The Athletic. But so you make it as stiff as a board and you just put it next to the ball, and you learn how to basically just shoot with that stiff as a board hand just being next to the ball to make sure it doesn't fall out. But then that forces you to get that ball balanced on your shooting hand. And that's a drill that the Celtics do and a lot of other teams do as well to just get these guys used to shooting with the correct form. And he's doing that, and it looks like he's starting to move the ball forward to a spot where he can actually shoot with balance and consistency. And it's going to be a long process for him. It's a process that they told them during the draft process or the – interview process you're going to have to com- you're going to have to commit to doing this it's going to suck at first but the results are if you do it you're probably going to be a 20 point score in the league based on every other skill set that he has so I, you know it's going to take him a while to fix it but when he does eventually fix it the potential for him to be a like a good starting score in the NBA is pretty high one guy who didn't figure it out, as we all have hopes for Langford, and I know a lot of people had hopes for Gershon Yavasel. He just didn't pan out. 16th overall pick in 2016 and uh, averaged two points in 74 NBA games over the last couple of years. Great dude, fun-loving, you know, weird Celtics Twitter will miss him. We love the dabs, all of it. Fact is, he can't play, or at least hasn't been able to since the moment he arrived. And the Celts are, as a result, on the hook three million bucks with uh, his exit. Do you think he's going to find his way with a change of scenery or is he just destined to be back overseas in the next couple of years? Yeah, I thought it was funny the change of scenery stuff because I mean, I don't know what the change of scenery needed to be, but like he was he was well liked by everybody on the team, uh, coaching staff, players, and he just he, he hasn't lost weight. And like it's so obvious that he needs to lose weight. He just he looks heavy out there. Jared Selinger um, all not, over again. Not, yeah, but not like size wise. It's heavy in that like the way he moves is kind of too plotting for him to do the things that make his game good. And, I mean, he had a lot of stretch five. I called him French Draymond during the draft. Um, I have I have made my mea culpa for saying that because how dare you invoke the name of Draymond when talking about Yabu. Uh, <laughs> but he, um, he, like, he has the skill set to be a good NBA player. But he, ha- he has not become a more consistent jump shooter. He has just not been able to catch up to the speed of the NBA game. And he just always looks a step behind. And he just hasn't figured out how to handle defense mentally. So like, there's so much about being a big man defender. It's about being able to read everything in front of you and be in the right position. And he just hasn't been able to do that yet. And to see him out there in summer league and he looked exactly, pretty much exactly the same as he did when he first got to the league, albeit a little bit more you know, body control and stuff of that nature. Um, I mean, they wanted, they wanted him to be a good shooter, to be able to be a really good pick-and-pop threat, and just none of those things came to fruition. It was definitely disappointing. And so, um, I, I, I mean, I had said on uh, Toucher and Rich at the beginning of the week that he was playing for his roster spot because I had gotten wind that there was a good chance he was going to get waived if he didn't turn this around quickly. But I didn't think they would waive him as soon as his summer league was over. I thought they would probably bring him to camp. I think they probably did that because they wanted to give him a chance to try to catch on with another team or, hell, maybe even another summer league team and let him try to play through that dislocated finger to try to you know, make a roster somewhere else. I just felt badly, and I don't know if you noticed this, but I, I sent a tweet a few days ago about him, and about and I didn't at him or anything. I wrote, you know, Gershon Yabaselli, and just basically politely wrote, like, this guy sucks, he can't play. And when when are we just going to all accept that? 
you know, uh, the poor guy retweeted it and, and then, uh, you know, gets gets waved a couple days later. It, 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 it made me upset. It made me upset for him. Yeah, I mean, Yelp is a good guy. Like, I feel bad. I mean, most of these guys that get criticized by the fans or, or by the show hosts, how dare you? Yeah. Um, you know, they're, all, <laughs> like, they're all, they're good guys. And they're just, they're not, you know, just because you're not good at basketball or that you just didn't work hard enough to be a great NBA player doesn't mean that you deserve to be ridiculed. You know, right. that's why I don't ridicule these guys. I never, I never, ever, ever say an NBA player sucks. You know, I just, I just never do. Because you know what? When I was growing up, Scalabrini was that guy that right. was laughed at and mocked. And, like, I know Scal. Scal is so good about basketball. He knows so much about basketball. He is such a smart guy. He was an NBA coach, for God's sakes. You, right. don't, you don't just waltz into being an NBA coach and stumble into it. And, yeah, he was probably the worst player on the team. And I'm sure you know, he's willing to admit that. He had some strengths. He was limited in some ways, but he did some things really well. He was a really good post defender. When his shot was on, he was a stretch big, which was pretty novel at the time. Unfortunately, for some reason, when he got to the Celtics, his shot was just way off. But before he got there, he was a good stretch big man. It was a good rotation player. So, you know, these guys at the end of the bench, sometimes they just need to be in the on the right team where they're limited to what they have to do, uh, to a few, a few specific things, but they're able to execute it well, and it works out. But Right now, just it seems like Yabusele is just so far from being a rotation player that you know maybe he goes back overseas, plays a couple of years, gets it together, and then he comes back and makes it in the NBA. Yeah, you have to remember it. It is, and Scalabrini is the perfect example. It's the relative suck. Gershon Yabusele doesn't suck at basketball. He sucks at NBA basketball. He'd certainly go out and and play well in the in the G League. He'd play well overseas. He'd beat the hell out of somebody like me and you. He just you know can't compete obviously at at that level just yet, and maybe never will. But let's go around the league here because again, major developments. Kawhi Leonard is out west, and uh, you know Jimmy Butler no longer in Philadelphia. He's in Miami. Maybe Chris Paul joins him, but I don't care about the Heat with these moves of late. That leaves Milwaukee and Philadelphia as the East favorites. Celtics actually have, as of right now, the third best championship odds in the Eastern Conference. Do the C's, though, just focusing in on on you know some of the the inside mechanics of it all, as as you like to dive into, do the Celts have the talent defensively to keep up with either of those teams' bigs? You've got Giannis Antetokounmpo with the Bucks, so you can never stop. It's the old adage like you you can't stop them; you only hope to contain them. And then Joel Embiid and, and Al Horford on the Sixers. Ennis Cantor, who I like. The guy's got a good personality. He's an elite rebounder. He can he can give you some points, but he's horrible defensively. How can the Celts contend with those guys on the other side in, in hopes of, you know, projecting ahead in a playoff series trying to move past them? So uh, the first thing is, no, they can't. Uh, they can't do it. And two, um, Ennis Cantor, to his credit, has gone from terrible to bad defender. Okay, that's, All right. that's an upgrade. And it's and it, it is it is a very important distinction because he went from not being able to even stay on the court really for an NBA team, despite his incredible offensive potency, uh, for a couple of years there to like last year in Portland, finally establishing that you can play him, you can play him in the fourth quarter, and it's a compromise, and he has to kick ass in order for it to be worthwhile. But you can do it, and that's why I kind of like this. Even though I thought Enos Kanter, as recently as six months ago, would be a terrible signing for your desperation center spot, I think after seeing what he did with Portland last year, I, I, I can see it working. Um, the problem is, yeah, when you're going up against those guys, it's, it's going to be a problem. Um, 
I mean, I, I've been I've been covering Embiid up close for a long time, and I can tell you that he has the special this, this very special ability to read a guy's positioning, and no matter how powerful you are, unless even if you're Aaron Baines and you can push him off the spot, he is just no matter what eventually figures you out. And that's what the great of the great big men do. But he eventually figures out how he can leverage you out of position. He gets you on an edge and then blows you away. And I've just, I've seen it so many times over the years. And Enos Cantor is just not, he's never been able to be good at maintaining that leverage. And so I just see, I see him taking him to the block, high post, you know, high post, mid post, wherever it is, just eating him alive. And then, Poirier, we haven't really seen him defend anyone like that before, so I have no idea how he'd hold up. He theoretically could do it, but you know, it's they, they don't really have anyone on the roster at this point that's a that's a matchup against Embiid the way that Aaron Baines and Al Horford have been. Um, and then as far as Giannis, Giannis, they at least can like kind of match up with a little bit more because they have Samuel Ojale, because they have Gordon Hayward who's not a good matchup for him, but like theoretically could at least defend him, um, and then. You know, Jalen and Jason could as well, but probably would struggle. And so, you know, that that that's going to be a struggle. And, you know, Giannis obviously is the MVP. But I think Embiid is the one that they have the real problem trying to find somebody to match up with him. How dare you leave Marcus Smart out of defending Giannis? <laughs> There's always that. And Smart, <laughs> Smart can defend anybody, right? Uh, Ian Thompson was on the show last week and told me, in spite of all that we just talked about, he believes that, granted, things would need to break right, but he believes the Seas can reach the NBA Finals with the group that it has. Now, that obviously involves Gordon Hayward looking a hell of a lot more like he did in Utah being an all-star and Jason Tatum being an all-star and Jalen Brown taking a step forward, Kemba being Kemba, and so on and so forth. Do you believe that, or, or is that just pie in the sky? Yes, it could happen. I think Giannis would have to step on a giant samurai sword and Joel Embiid... <laughs> would need to never come back from China for it to happen. Um, <laughs> I could see it happening. So the realistic ways that that could happen are, like, hey, where's the huge X factor here? Um, even if Jalen and Jason make their improvements and they get, you know, they, they get towards the all-star threshold, I think it really comes down to, is Hayward going to be that guy that replaces Al Horford? And Hayward's different than Al Horford, but what he does is he's the complementary playmaker that, can make everything flow and take the pressure off of Kemba Walker to have kind of a similar system to what, to what Kyrie was doing last year, where it's a lot of isolation or high pick and roll playmaking. Like the, the Brad Stevens system relies on another really good playmaker to have everything flow through him and allow everybody to play off of him. And then they can keep kind of changing who, you know, who everything is playing off of. So if they're able to pull that off and Hayward is able to be the dominant guy that he was a couple of years ago, then that's where they have that chance to really be a finals team. But that weakness at the five is a pretty significant weakness against a bunch of teams that don't really have any weaknesses. I mean, they have some weaknesses in skill here or there, but like they have complete dominant two way players at every single position. So, you know, I, it's going to take a miracle for it to happen, but they, they do have, they're like that one team in the East that you can see having the potential to make that leap to get onto the same tier as those as Milwaukee and Philadelphia. One last break to tell you today's show is brought to you by Quip. I'm sure all you are 
done with your spring cleaning, considering summer is finally here. But one thing you need to work on, that's cleaning your mouth. you got to do that all the time. And in two minutes, you can get the best clean you've ever had just by signing up for Quip. Quip uses sensitive sonic vibrations to give you the best clean of your life. Most people brush way too hard, and the electric toothbrushes, they can be abrasive. So give your mouth the gentle clean it needs. 90% of people don't brush for the full two minutes. Quip's here to help you. Pulses every 30 seconds to remind you to switch it up. Think about it. How many times does your mind wander when you brush your teeth? Well, Quip is designed so you can daydream. Make it easy. It's time to upgrade your game to the toothbrush backed by over 25,000 professionals. Get Quip today. Get your first refill on us. Just go to getquip.com slash Celtics. That is getquip.com slash Celtics. All right, let's get back to Jared. What was your reaction to the Clippers' secret power move? You know, no leaks, no whispers, no speculation of Paul George, or even hints, really, that Kawhi would land with the other L.A. team. Yes, the Clippers were always in the mix, but it seemed like the Lakers or Raptors were inevitable. And you had, you know, the pundits going on TV and saying as much, the 99%, yada, yada, yada. But nothing. It just the, the tweets in the middle of the night on the East Coast, the entire landscape of the league, had shifted. It was amazing. And, and somebody said this to me on Twitter that I hadn't even really thought about, but it, it reminded them of, of when the Celtics hired Brad Stevens as head coach. It, like, that was the last example of there being just no indication of anything, and it genuinely pops up out of nowhere. I thought it was amazing. It was, uh, it was everything that you, that you missed about the league. The surprise, the patience, the, the persistence. I mean, there is so much of that that I think really spoke to who Kawhi is and who Paul George is. And it was really, it was amazing to see it happen. And it's rare. And I don't know, this is probably an unrelatable thing to say, but like as an NBA reporter, there aren't a lot of things that happen that surprise me anymore, frankly. And it's a little, it's a different experience for me than I think it is for a lot of our listeners. I'm sure it's a lot of the same for you as well. And that we, I, you know, we're talking to people constantly that have information or we're reporting our own information. And you generally have an idea of some of this stuff is happening. And the, the entire time, I, I must have done like 30 radio hits or podcast hits during the, the free agency timeline. And every single time I would get asked, where is Kawhi Leonard going to go? And I would try to refuse as much as possible to give an answer because I would just say, like, I have no idea. And I don't think anybody has an idea. <laughs> and I think if you're like Jalen Rose or one of these guys that is saying you have an idea, you're probably lying. And or you're you're believing somebody who also doesn't have an idea, right? Um, and you know, Chris Carter maybe actually does know, and it seems like he might actually be inside Kawhi's camp. So um, I would probably listen to what he has to say on this matter. Um, Jalen Rose is kind of turning into a bit of a Stephen A. light in that you know he probably like he probably is getting information from someone legit, that's for sure. But he doesn't like we we double source our reports for a reason because. People either have agendas or they're believing someone who is not telling the truth or is just wrong. And you need to get multiple sources from other angles to be able to confirm something. Well, there's why, also zero accountability know. anymore. Like if you're wrong, you're wrong. And nobody questions your credibility going forward. You were just, hey, you missed this one. Try the next one. Yeah. Well, it depends. If you're on TV, there's no credibility. Well, that's what I mean. Uh, yeah. Not, not if you're you necessarily, but if you're Stephen yeah. A, like nobody cares if he's wrong. That's true. Which is a shame because... Stephen A, every time he says something, I get really nervous because I have seen him walk into the locker room and sit down with Kyrie Irving and talk with him for five minutes. I've seen him do it with Jalen Brown. I, I've seen a lot of these people do it. I see that, and I'm like, okay, well, clearly they have a relationship with this person. 
relationship with their people where maybe the information they're reporting is true. And so, you know, it's, it, there's enough that I've seen demonstrated with these guys that it is plausible that what they are saying is true. And you think it's probably BS and it turns out almost always to be complete BS. And actually another thing the public should know is that sometimes what they're saying is true and then circumstances change. Mm -hmm. And then eventually the people that are involved lie about it publicly. That's a very common thing that happens. And there's a lot of times that people report something and what they're reporting is accurate at the time and things change. And that's happened to me before too. So, you know, it happens to everybody. Um, sometimes agreements get right close to the finish line and then they fall through. Um, sometimes they get past the finish line and then they fall through as Martin Morris just did. Uh, so, you know, so much stuff happens behind the scenes. So many deals get almost done and then fall apart behind the scenes that, you know, maybe Kawhi Leonard to the Lakers was really close to happening at one point and then it ended. Maybe it was really close to Toronto and then it ended. Actually, we know for a fact that Toronto was trying to get Paul George and if they were able to get Paul George, Kawhi would have gone back there. So, mm-hmm. You know, there there is so much fluidity. There are so many changes in circumstances behind the scenes that a lot of the stuff that is getting reported is fairly accurate and then just somehow ends up not being true in the end. So as we chat on July 12th, are the Clippers your championship pick? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's an easy one, right? They um, they were a team that was, like, going to probably leap into being a borderline contender no matter what if they missed out on Kawhi. Um, they're so well-coached. You know, it's funny. There was a narrative at some point that Doc Rivers was not a good coach, and that always perplexed me. Uh, Doc Rivers is a really good coach. You know, he's not an X and O expert, and he gets guys on the staff that are, but he is just about as good a player management coach as there has been in the league in the last 30 years. And we see it time and time and time again. And so what he did last year was amazing. I mean, that team was like all, you know, like it was like two second units basically out there. There was no first unit on that team. It was two second units. They somehow almost beat the Warriors. They were just so potent. Yeah, Lou Will playing at his peak. Montrose Harrell is one of my favorite guys emerging in the NBA. I just, I am obsessed with everything that he does. He is an absolute monster. Um, and then you put two MVPs on that team. You put the guy that was third in MVP voting last year, and then the guy that was the playoff MVP last year. I mean, they got so much better, it is incomprehensible. So, yeah, they're an easy, easy championship pick for me at this point. I'll tell you, we don't have time to do it because there are other things I want to hit on, and we're running longer, and I thought we would anyway. But the uh, on, on the doc thing, because this is a point of passion for me, I don't disagree with anything that you just said in terms of his player management, his, you know, getting to, you know, massaging egos, all of that, getting guys to buy in. And, and like you said, that he's not necessarily the best X's and O's guys, but he finds the right guys who are to put on his staff. I have never said Doc Rivers is a bad head coach. I have said countless times I think he's an overrated head coach. And uh, But I, I will agree what we saw last year was impressive, and we'll see what happens this year. But this year should be, candidly, it should be a lot like the 08 Celtics for him, you know, if, if he gets everybody on the same page because he has a good staff around him. But again, we don't have time to do all that stuff. But the Rockets, Daryl Morey wanted a big change this offseason, oh, yeah. and, uh, and he got it. You know, Westbrook's in, Paul's gone, State Farm commercials will never be the same and it's hard to know whether Westbrook and Harden are going to fight more over the last shot or who gets to complete the triple-double. Does this have any chance of working? Yeah, oh, yeah. Um, I think a, you have to look at last season as the hints that this could work because to Russell Westbrook's credit, I think he made, and I have been one of Russ's biggest attractors. 
Um, I said that Harden and then Kawhi should have been one and two in, in the year that Westbrook won MVP. I've been saying that the triple-double stat is fairly meaningless. I mean, it's a, an amazing accomplishment, but it is not a barometer for success. Sure. Um, for, since the beginning, I've always been anti-Westbrook because he was a reckless player who took away from his team as much as he gave to his team. Um, he wasn't playing defense. Right. He was taking horrible, insane shots at the end of games. They were losing games. He would put them in the game, and then he would take them out of the game. And he just <laughs> it was he was a Tasmanian devil. Yeah. And on the aggregate, it pretty much evened out, and they were a 500 team. So last year, to his credit, I think he had that awakening. And I think it was after losing KD and then learning to trust Paul George, he had a bit of an awakening, and he was, I think, a huge part of it was that his shot like completely broke last year, and he just literally couldn't make a shot. But he kind of sat back and really focused on being the best playmaker he could be. And, I mean, the numbers were insane from an assist perspective. He was racking up 20 assist games as if that was, like, a normal thing all the time. You know, and that 20 assist game is so extremely rare. We used to see them because of Rondo, but, like, those are extremely rare. Uh, but he was doing it, like, almost routinely, it seemed like. And then he... I think committed on defense at a level that he hadn't done in a while. And much like Rondo, these guys like Westbrook, these super, you know, super athletic defenders that are, you know, that are really smart guys early in their careers, they are established as elite defenders. And then as they get more offensive responsibility, they start to just stop caring on defense. And Russ, just like Rondo in like 2013 turned into like the biggest matador defender in the NBA. And then finally last year, kind of like woke up and realized that, it's not a legitimate defensive approach to the guy get by you, try to steal from behind, and then watch the rest of the play and just try wait to be able to run back on offense. So, like, Russ finally committed, and that's important because Chris Paul, to his credit, his entire career has always been a super committed and elite defender. And, I mean, he has his moments, like every point guard does, where there's lapses because it's, you know, it's hard to maintain that energy level throughout the game. But, like, CP3 holds a, holds a pretty high standard for defense. And I think Russ is finally up to the task of upholding that while also being able to create a shot in a way that CP3 was having a lot of trouble with last year. Um, but because he's shown such, so much more willingness to be a playmaker, maybe even play off ball, I think he can make it work with Harden. And I think it was a no-brainer to make that trade. The, the 2026 draft pick was definitely one that I shuddered seeing them give up. But otherwise, I thought it was actually a pretty <laughs> – you know, pretty good way to make up for a huge mistake that they made and give Chris Paul that contract that they probably had no choice in giving up. Well, and and on the other side for the Thunder, and and I'm curious how they are un, how they're able to unload Chris Paul's contract and what if anything they they need to give up with him to entice someone like a Miami to take him away, and we'll find out probably in the next couple of days. But for some reason, I got pushback on this on Twitter. I don't quite understand why outside of the fact that it's Twitter and you just get pushback on anything. But I'm actually really impressed with the job that Sam Presti has done in such a tough spot. You know, on the one hand, yes, you can say he had Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, James Harden, Serge Ibaka all at the same time, and and they don't have a championship to show for it. But, uh, you know, and he also had Paul George and he had the corpse of Carmelo Anthony along the way. But, you know, now no great talent there. He's going to have, I, I think it's 15 first rounders between 2020 and 2026 between ones they acquired and, of course, their own that they're going to have. And it just, you know, when you have when you have two star players that dictate very specifically in Paul's case, but leading that way in, in Westbrook's case as well, because he said he wanted to play with Harden again. When you have two star players, superstar players 
not only say they want out, but tell you where they want to go, and you have to make that happen, and you get, you know, the, the number of, of picks and pick swaps and everything back that, that would make Danny Ainge blush, uh, to me, that's that's a really impressive job. Uh, everyone that was detracting you was wrong, and probably wouldn't really... If I were you, I would probably not worry about their opinion ever again, because... <laughs> uh, Everyone in the NBA is blown away by what Sam Presti has accomplished here. Um, you know, he, he tried to walk the path of being a contender on a team where the owner has been reticent to pay the luxury tax, which is, you know, the thing that you have to do. And it's forced them to kind of cut corners here or there. Um, I, I'm pretty sure I remember hearing a few years ago that the owner made them give Stephen Adams a max contract, even though Presti wanted to try and negotiate the less. And, you know, that contract definitely hindered them a little bit. Um, and they paid Westbrook the Supermax when I thought that was a bad idea. I would have traded Westbrook a couple of years ago and would have tried to start over. And to his credit, he was smart. And I'm, this is why I'm not a GM, is because he, he decided I'm going to Supermax him and I will find a way to trade him for assets at some point if I have to. And it is unreal what he did. I mean, those draft picks may not be great draft picks, but one of them has a chance to be a good one. And if you can get a bunch of firsts that you can start to package, that's what's so amazing about these trades and this new precedent that's been set as like the KG Paul Pierce trade redux that's happening all over the league is that by attaining these masses of picks, you can over time package them together, use them in different trades to eventually achieve the end goal that you're hoping of them being a good pick. So, it gives him so many different tools to use to start rebuilding now. And whether or not those draft picks end up being really good draft picks doesn't matter quite as much because of the massive picks he has. So flip side, a team that has no future assets whatsoever, how rough a shape do you think the Lakers are in right now compared to what LeBron James and, and even Anthony Davis would have expected? You know, it's it's a mess of role players who could go either way. DeMarcus Cousins, maybe he has a rebirth. You have Rajon Rondo, I think, is, is going to be Rondo. But then it's Avery Bradley and JaVale McGee, Quinn Cook's there, Jared Dudley, obviously Kyle Kuzma, Danny Green, Contavious Caldwell-Pope. Like, there's, there are, you know, I, I made a, a bad joke on Twitter that, that people couldn't hesitate to roast me for, which was, you know, I'm listing all these guys, and I'm like, wow, the, the 2017 Lakers are loaded, <laughs> you know, because a lot of these guys, you know, a couple of years ago, pretty good. But right now, 2019-20 season, Frank Vogel's got his work cut out for him. It's a playoff team. I don't agree with anyone that says this, they're going to miss out in the West, and, and you could tell me what you think. But as far as being a, a championship contender, even with LeBron and Davis, two players that, by the way, at least as of late, and maybe less so with LeBron, but certainly a concern for Davis always, the injury history, I don't think they got a good situation going in L.A. at all. Yeah, they definitely fell short of what they wanted. Um, and I just I felt like they used their cap space instead of there were other good players they could have acquired. And I, they, I don't think they used their cap space wisely there. Um, the case, it's just it's the KCP deal like that really sticks out to me. It's like KCP just wasn't good for them last year. And I, I get it. Like they're, you're satisfying Rich Paul there. But like you already, you already did so much to satisfy Rich Paul. You right. don't need to. You don't need to do that little extra bit there. They should not have paid him that much. Um, and they should, they're, they're just other talent they could have acquired. They could, I would have rather had Marcus Morris than, um, than uh, KCP, and they could have had Marcus Morris instead of him. I would have rather, because I'd rather have Avery Bradley than KCP, and they were able to bring in Bradley. And that's a good signing. That Bradley signing was good. I mean, Bradley, has, he's had some injury issues, some shooting issues over the last couple of years, but 
he still is like a he still fits what they need pretty well. Um, Rondo hopefully can stay healthy and then hopefully play better and maybe start playing some defense if he actually can stay healthy. Uh, hmm. JaVale, I guess, was like serviceable last year for them, and they're not paying that much, so that makes sense. I mean, they're, you know, generally, I think most of the moves make sense. It's just that they they waited out the market to try to get Kawhi, and they were taking a huge risk in doing that, and I think it was worth it. You know what? And I like the fact that they did that. Um, you know, you don't know from I, I, none of us really know from this from our perspective whether they were aware of the Paul, whether they were brought into the idea that Paul George is going to have to be a package deal, like the way that Toronto and the Clippers were, if they were aware of that, then they should have backed out immediately. Like they, they should have recognized, okay, well, this is not going to, I mean, I, I guess the Paul George package deal doesn't apply to them actually now that I think about it. So whatever, they should have recognized that they probably were in trouble there and maybe should have pivoted out of the situation before it's too late. Cause by the time Kawhi decided it was truly too late uh, from finding anyone else. But so, you know, what's good is, you know, they can get out of a lot of these deals next year, and so they can use cap space again to try to find another good free agent. Um, but they they just they don't, they don't have enough around AD and LeBron for me to be really confident they can compete with a team as deep and stacked as the Clippers are, and as good as Utah is as well. Utah is going to be a major threat to them, and Denver is going to be a big threat as well. But at the same time, we you know, AD next to LeBron could be so – they, they could be the two best players in the NBA next year. I mean, it could be so unbelievably unstoppable that it doesn't really matter as long as everyone else around them could just stand there without falling apart. We'll end with uh, Adam Silver's annual Summer League press conference, which was Tuesday. The commissioner admitted the league has obvious problems to address with players asking for trades. We've seen a lot of it lately. Tampering, which is, you know, I talked to Ian about that last week. It's just, it's it's beyond out of control. I don't even know why they bother to have a moratorium period or, or even wait as long as they do for free agency to begin when tampering so clearly starts so much earlier than, than I think most people even thought before and uh you know the free agency and draft calendar which is an ongoing discussion about how that should probably be flipped there are many issues what's the top priority of that group though um you know see the thing is i don't think the tampering thing is is a huge deal and i think one important thing is that people say like get rid of the moratorium get rid of the tampering rules and it's that's a lack of understanding of how rules and regulations work and the important thing is even if a rule is not easily enforceable or is kind of like crossed over and they're kind of pushing the boundaries, you need that rule in place to at least set the boundary to generally control the behavior. So if you get rid of the tampering rules, then tampering is just going to be happening on every single player all the time. So like Zion just got drafted by New Orleans. The Lakers would already be calling Zion every single day saying, when are you going to come to the Lakers? When are you going to force a trade to the Lakers? Blah, blah, blah. Like, like you need to have the tampering rules in place mm. so that teams have to do it covertly and strategically. So teams aren't going to start tampering with, with Zion the second he gets to the league. They're going to wait until Zion is in a point in which that situation can be leveraged. And then they start to very subtly do it, do it behind closed doors so that there isn't some sort of apparent massive crisis you don't want it to be the way soccer is. Soccer, basically, I don't know if there are any tampering rules in soccer, but isn't they certainly don't seem to exist because tampering is like so stupidly rampant in soccer that players and managers are constantly talking about, you know, I just joined this club, but I really want to finish my career at this club, or you know, one day I want to play at this club, or we want we want to get this guy, and it's like it's it creates so much discord and so much of a mess 
and it makes teams fall apart constantly. It is such a disastrous system. And not to mention, like, in soccer, there's no parity. It's like college sports. And I don't like that system. And, you know, there's a lot of great things about it, but the part of what makes the NBA great is that there is parity. So if you root for a team, you expect that team to try to be competitive at some point. While, like, in, in soccer, if you're a fan of, like, Newcastle United, you know that your team is probably going to be a borderline Premier League team or maybe – you know, things go really well like they had lately, like at times, like you'll climb up there, but you're never really expecting to really compete for a title. And the NBA, by having these tampering rules, by having a moratorium in which the reason the moratorium still exists is not that the league audit is really a factor anymore. Um, it's because teams need time to open up cap space sometimes. And so we saw because of the proliferation of sign and trades this year, which was a huge shocker, um, you know, it takes a little bit of time, even if a lot of it's getting worked out in the tampering period before July or before June 30th. Teams still need time to come to all their agreements, then order the way that the agreements are going to be worked out so that you can have everything fit under the cap rules. And that is why you need a bit of a moratorium. Because sometimes you reach an agreement with a player like the way that Miami did with Jimmy Butler. And then in order to execute that agreement, you need to find a trade with somebody else. And generally, teams are confident that they can you know, execute a deal with somebody else in the meantime, um, that they're willing to reach this deal with like Jimmy Butler. And so obviously Miami have been talking over several different trade situations and the trade that they had with Dallas had been set up several days before free agency because they were expecting to sign Jimmy Butler. So you need the moratorium so you can work out and reach agreements on all those different deals. So I, I don't think those two things are going to change necessarily, but or they're not going to go away. But they are going to make some changes to try to like, – I mean, what I've been hearing is the moratorium is probably going to get shorter. Um, mm. There's some actually there, – there's some really interesting proposals that I'm going to be writing about in the near future that I won't be able to spoil quite yet. But um, I think the big one that we're going to see is a moratorium getting cut down to maybe three days or so. So you know this. Many may not. There are rule changes coming to the NBA next season. Coaches are going to have in-game challenge flags to challenge personal fouls, out-of-bounds violations, goaltending, stuff like that. It's not a literal flag like in the NFL, just a signal, but a replay center can trigger instant replays as well. So what do you think of all this? Is it going to hinder things much, or is it just something that will blend in and we'll get used to? Oh, I think we'll get used to it. I mean, there's there's already – uh, coaches like calling for uh, calling for a review where they you know they like they twirl their finger, which is what the rolling tail uh, calls for at this point. Like we already see them do it all the time. They just don't have the unilateral power to actually get them to do that. So mm. usually it's like they see a situation where the ref could review it, and they're like, all right, let's review it. So now they just have more unilateral ability to do it when they see fit. So it's not going to be much of a change. You're going to see it happen every single game. But I think you see it happen probably once a game, at least anyway. And I was disappointed when I heard there was going to be a challenge flag. I was hoping there'd be like one of those like giant flags that the mascot carries around and the coach has to pick <laughs> that up for a way to back and forth. I thought that would be a fun idea. Yeah, there you go. I'd be all for that. Well, before I do let you go, have uh, for anyone that weren't, you know, if you weren't paying attention to all the Twitter questions and everything like that, have you been able to identify the most handsome Celtics beat writer yet? Uh, I think I'm talking to him right now. Oh, right? this guy. You Little little did you know you were getting teed up for that. I think you're absolutely right, and I appreciate that greatly. I'll do what I can. Uh, Jared Weiss in The Athletic. Thanks, buddy. That was uh, that was a lot of fun. I know we kept you a while, but we covered a lot of ground. That was perfect timing. Thanks, uh, thanks for everything.
Really, really great stuff from Jared. I loved having him on, and uh, we'll definitely have to do that again soon. I hope you enjoyed it as well. I I know we've been running long these last few weeks. Normally, we keep these shows closer to like 45 minutes, and we've been going over an hour these last few. But part of it is there's just so much going on, not just concerning the Celtics, but around the league on the transaction wire, and that needs to be discussed. Even if it doesn't directly impact the Celtics, just as NBA fans, I assume you care. I know I care and our guests care and they're kind enough to donate so much of their time because uh, I, I will tell you if you don't know or if you care, I, I don't know about that either, but guests are not paid to uh, to come on, on this program. They do it for, uh, you know, out, out of the kindness of their hearts to share their Celtics and, and other NBA analysis and, and wisdom with all of us. So I, I greatly appreciate it. And, and Jared, just being the most recent. This show brought to you in part by betonline.ag. Go to clnsmedia.com slash Celticsbeat. Use the promo code CLNS50 for a 50% bonus on your first deposit of at least $25. Show also brought to you by Quip. Get your first refill on us by going to getquip.com slash Celtics. Thanks again to Jared, to Evan, who uh, was mentioned in this show probably more than than he typically is. Thanks as well to Nick, Larry, John, everybody at CLNS Media. Most of all, you subscribe. You can get us on iTunes, search Celtics, or just search Celtics Beat. That'd be even faster for you, I suppose. Subscribe to the show. Subscribe on Stitcher and... As important as anything, follow me on Twitter at Adam M. Kaufman, or at least keep up if you don't follow, because we'll be constantly tweeting out the shows, engaging with you, and right on top of all the news that comes out concerning this Celtics team. You can bet on that. So it's it's going to be fun. And again, we're in mid-July. I cannot confidently say there's not going to be something significant coming down the pike for the Celtics and Danny Ainge. And if you're a C's fan, especially in recent years, I don't know how you could believe otherwise. All right, Chino, get us out of here. Hello, I'm Dan Lothian, host of the Behind the Media podcast on the CLNS Media Network. Along with Jimmy Young, we dive into the biggest media headlines each week with honest, informed, and sometimes irreverent perspectives. It's not all serious. We deliver information and entertainment. As we like to say on Behind the Media, we find the interesting in media so you don't have to go searching for it. Listen to our podcast and get prepped for the next trip to the water cooler. Subscribe to Behind the Media wherever you get your podcast or find us on www.clnsmedia.com.